But we come to Proverbs 1, verse 8 today. Right after Solomon gives what I uh, hope I made the case for last week is the motto of Proverbs, which is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, uh, that foundational truth that keeps on popping up throughout this book, that we have to live our lives under God, and we have to live our lives for God, and in the fear of the Lord. He writes this. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. I take that transition between verse 7 and verse 8 to mean that God gives certain provisions for our instruction, certain provisions for our discipline. And in this case, specifically, the God-ordained means for the growth of one who lives, wants to live in the fear of the Lord is his or her parents. Parents are given by God to help us learn. And we're going to see that from verses 8 and 9. But in verses 10 to 19, we'll see that there is a competing call for your affection. God will provide the, the call of parents, their pleadings. But there are other voices, those not provided by God, but carrying their own sense of influence, strong influence. These are identified in verse 10 simply as sinners. It's sort of an all-encompassing term for anyone or anything that is in contrast to that which God provides. Said that God provides parents. These are in contrast to that, the sinners. And all of this gets framed here as a beckoning, a calling. It's an appeal. It's a pleading for our affections. You see that in the commands there, in the imperatives. Verse 8 says, Hear, my son. It's an appeal to pay attention. But in verse 11, you see the sinner's appeal. Come with us. Or literally the word is walk with us. Do walk with us, it's saying. It's an equally forceful and equally compelling appeal. One group is saying, hear us. The other group is saying, come with us. So with that, the lines are drawn. The choices have been laid out. And Proverbs, as we've learned already, does that a lot. It provides two ways, provides two paths, two choices. It gives two outcomes, folly or wisdom. And in that way, we can be, I guess, comforted in the fact, or maybe terrified in some ways, that, that Proverbs doesn't meander around in the gray areas. It operates in the blacks and the whites. You have to choose. You can be a God-fearing person, or you can be a God-belittling or God-ignoring person. And that goes for the category of instruction and teaching as well. You can listen to the means that God has provided, and you will move toward godliness. Or you will fall prey to the allurements of the sinners who will take you away from God. And let me just add again that this scenario here is one that's played out all the time in every single one of us. These competing choices 
call for our attention every day. And that's what makes this all the more important. And it makes, us, makes it crucial that we begin with and are informed by the fear of the Lord. All right, so that's introduction. Now chapters 1 to 9 of Proverbs are cast as a set of instructions from a father to a son. Such as an appeal to be wise and to maintain wisdom and to keep walking in wisdom. And you'll find there an appeal for uh, to watch out for sexual temptations and to stray away. The temptation to stray in the devotion to the wife of your youth, as it puts it in chapter 5, and so on. But all these sections start out with my son. It's a father begging his son to be wise and to avoid folly. And this father is grounded in the fear of the Lord. And so his warnings, when he speaks, are godly warnings. His advice is godly advice. His pleas are godly pleas. This is the voice of the Father speaking on behalf of God. He has been provided by God to give instruction to His Son. And in our section, the section we're looking at this morning, the Father appeals to the Son to listen to both Him and His mother. So parents are provided by God to instruct and to teach children. They represent, though imperfect, they represent God's voice. They represent God's discipline. They represent God's law. And really, when I read instruction and teaching there in verse 8, it can also be translated discipline and law. The word for teaching there is actually the word Torah, for which we get Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, the books of law. And in this first discourse, from verses 8 to 19, he says, my son, three separate times. You'll see it there in verse 8, in verse 10, and in verse 15. That tells us that this is really important. What the father is about to say to his son, what the father is about to repeat to his son, is something for which the son should perk up his ears. What makes this important is that this is a father who's talking to his son, who's probably come to a point in his life where he's about to decide with whom he's going to associate. Who will be his major source of influence? This is a son that is at the, uh, the crossroads of his life. Which way he decides to go will determine the course of his life moving forward. The father knows that, and so he pleads with his son. Well, let's look at what he says. First thing he says is that he wants his son to pay attention to his dad, to himself, and to his mom. Look again at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, like I said, if you take that together with verse 7, it helps you see that this is God's way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. God means to teach children through parents. Uh, Parental instruction is God's primary method for passing truth down from one generation to the next. And so implied in this proverb is the need for parents to instruct their children. Now from Adam and Eve to Israel, all the way through to the church age, 
This has always been God's design for his people. The fear of the Lord is to be taught primarily by parents to their children. You see this repeatedly. In Acts 10, verses 1 to 2, when God is about to rescue uh, Egypt, or rescue Israel from Egypt and from the Pharaoh through all sorts of means, through plagues, through parting seas, he says, I'm going to do this, Exodus 10, verse 1, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians. I'm doing this so that you might tell this to future generations. What I did, my works, the great things that I have done in rescuing you and bringing you to the place where you are now. Or Exodus 13, 14. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Fathers are to tell their sons, their children. Fathers were teaching their sons the benefits of fearing the Lord. And of course, a passage you're all familiar with, or many of you at least, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, where God, this great, it's called the great Shema, where God tells Israel that the Lord is their God and that they are to love the Lord your God with all their hearts and with all their souls and with all their minds. And then it says, Those words shall be, these words shall be on your heart, And look at what it says next. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. When you lie down, when you wake up, at all times. And then in the New Testament, we have the same thing. Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 3. So that part of it's implied there in our text. It's implicit. But But the gist of our text is that children listen to the instructions of their father and mother. But this isn't new either. Solomon isn't making this up, grabbing this out of a vacuum somewhere. When Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive God's words to his people, what we call the Ten Commandments, he starts by talking in the first four commandments about how we as God's people ought to relate to God, but how we should uh, love him and, and, and serve him and, and, and not have any idols before him. But in the very first command, the fifth command, on how we relate to each other, he writes, honor your father and mother. Respect them. Literally, give weight to their words. Fear them. Fear God. Honor your parents. And just in case anyone thought this was a throwaway optional command, you just need to read one of the laws in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And maybe you all want to look at this if you just want to get a little bit of a shock value this morning. Here, when parents had a rebellious child, stubborn and rebellious son, it says, they were to grab him, to seize him, and to take him to the elders of the church where he would then be stoned to death. Rebellious child stoned to death. Reason? Deuteronomy 21, verse 21, So Israel shall hear of it and fear. Now happily, we live under the new covenant now, because I likely wouldn't have made it here. But it just points out the seriousness of this command and of these words from a father to a son here in Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, 
Listen up to your father's instruction and forsake not. Don't leave your mother's teaching. And so we find out what the father and mother are to give to their children and how the child is to respond. The father must instruct. Like I said before, the word here could also mean to discipline. It's, as I said a couple of weeks ago, education with oomph. He instructs, but if it should become necessary, he will utilize some extra oomph to reinforce and to add to his instruction. So he's going to instruct, and his instruction will be verbal. Hear, my son. And so fathers, this is more than just leading by example. That's necessary too, but it says here that that's not sufficient. You must speak. You must teach. You must read the Word. You must pray. You must give verbal witness to God's workings. What has God done in your life? How has God changed you? How has God transformed you? Tell your children. Has something happened during the day where you have uh, particularly seen God at work? Tell them. Instruct them in the fear of the Lord. Fathers, don't take a back seat. Don't take the passive approach and leave all the teaching, the biblical teaching to your wife. Take the lead on this in your home. How should the son respond to his father's instruction? Simply listen. Hear. This is obedience. It's, it's not just letting words go from your outer ear to your middle ear to your inner ear so that your eardrum vibrates a little bit. They have to keep on going from there down to your heart to such an extent that you willingly obey. You have to hear obediently. Listen. Next we have mom. The father gives discipline. She provides teaching. Torah, law. We could literally say that she lays down the law. Now for young children, especially moms, generally speaking, are the ones who are at home most of the day. When dad is away from the home, making sure there's food on the table, the mothers are there to uphold the law, to maintain the rules of the home. And so I would just encourage you moms to to do this. Don't only try to be your child's friend. You are their mother. You are their teacher. You are the one who upholds the law. You should expect respect. And dads should expect their children to respect their mother. But look again at the child's response here. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Forsake means to leave, to, to, uh, to give no attention to. Children, your mother has been given to you by God to teach you. She has been provided to you by God to enforce God's laws and to enforce the rules of your home. Do not belittle her. Do not disrespect her. Do not disregard what she says to you. Pay attention to, to her. You fail to do that at your peril. Your mom is God's gift to teach you, to help you grow, to be someone who ultimately fears God. Ignoring her is dangerous. You might have realized that already. 
Now, if you look at this all together, it emphasizes the need for children to heed the words of their parents. Children, this is God's way. If there's nothing else you remember today, remember that parents are given to you by God to help you walk with Him. It's a dangerous thing to disregard that. We'll see that right away. Some of you, especially young people, are in that stage of life where it just feels like your parents' teaching is arcane, ancient, restrictive, limiting, old-fashioned. But if you have parents who genuinely fear the Lord, do not disregard them. Do not push them aside. You might not not like what they say, but if they are truly God-fearing parents, what they say is for your good. Don't just pretend to listen to them and then go off and do your own thing. Don't rebel. Respect them. Listen to them. Hear them. Do not forsake their teaching. And just a note for parents, uh, Dan Phillips has made an observation here that I just want to leave with you as sort of a general principle. And that is that parenting is not a formula. It's not an if you do this, then this is how your kids will turn out every time. We see and read a lot about that kind of advice in our culture. But the implication here is that you just need to be faithful. Dads, instruct. Moms, Teach. Keep doing that. But as for the child obeying, that is not ultimately your responsibility. Yes, you need to make sure that you teach the right thing and in the right way, but your goal is not to achieve a result. Your goal is to be faithful to the teaching. It's the child's responsibility, it says here, to listen and to stay with your teaching, to not forsake it. And if you just think about this, this makes sense. Because if it was a formula, you would never have to pray for them. Isn't that true? As parents, our role is to be faithful in instruction and teaching and discipline and law and pray that they will hear, that they will listen, that they will not forsake the teaching and that they will ultimately fear the Lord, which will lead them then to repent of their sins and to turn to Christ as their only righteousness. And we as parents have to do that too, ultimately, don't we? Because we recognize we are not perfect. We have to turn to Christ and point our children to him as well. Say, we can't expect them to be perfect. Because we're not. We are sinners. But we can point them to the one who is. Well, verse 9 says that for children who hear their father's instruction and don't forsake their mother's teaching... This instruction will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Garland and pendants are are symbols of joy and success. Just think back to the Athens Olympics, didn't they, when they won a medal, give them a wreath for their head in addition to the pendant, to the medal? It was a symbol of success, and the result was joy. Well, there's a parallel passage in Proverbs 6, verse 20 verses 20 to 24, that sort of helps us understand um, what these symbols point to. When we put something around our necks or on our heads, I think the point that he's making here is that they are with us wherever we go. 
So this is saying that if you listen and if you don't forsake the teachers that God has provided for you, it will help you wherever you go in life and in whatever you do. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. This is sounding parallel already. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. In other words, they're always there. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you, in this case here, from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And it goes on to talk about her enticements after that. But it's saying here, if you carefully obey the instructions from God through your parents, it'll help you when you get into the various predicaments of life and the various temptations that'll come your way. These teachings are precious. They will lead you. They will preserve you. When you follow the teachings of those who are provided by God to teach you, when you take those teachings with you, you will be content. You will be joyful. You will be glad. You will have success. You will fear God rightly. And so God provides his source of instruction. But there's a competing voice. It's a voice that competes with God's word. It's an alternative voice to the provision by God of parents. What kinds of voices would compete with parents for the soul of a, of a son? How about the voices of the in crowd? How about the voices of the culture? How about the voices of Hollywood? How about the voices of popular music? How about the voices of video games, the internet, pornography? How about the voices of your so-called friends? These are the kinds of voices that will whisper to you, that will try to convince you that God's way, eh, that may not be the best way. May not be the most fun way. Well, in Proverbs 1, verse 10, all of those can be put into a category Solomon calls sinners. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not be willing. Do not give attention to those voices. There was an event last week that was all over the news in which the backstory of this is a perfect illustration of what happens when parents, when children stop listening to their parents. If I just say the name Miley Cyrus, many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. For those that don't know, don't bother looking it up. For me, just reading about this was more than I could take. The gist of it is that a, that a so-called musician made a fool of herself on, natural, on national television, on a national awards show, in a very perverse way. But the backstory is that when this girl was a young teenager, she played the lead role in a family show, a, a, a teen drama called Hannah Montana. A couple of years ago, when it became obvious that this girl... Um, was not going to be an innocent little girl anymore. Her father, Billy Cyrus, gave an interview. By this time, he had already been largely estranged from her. It was an interview, I think, on her 18th birthday 
or, or around the occasion of her 18th birthday party. And a couple of lines from that interview stood out to me in connection with this passage. When asked what level of communication he and Miley have at the moment, he said, it's good enough to know that it could be a lot better. He says, I'm scared from her, uh, scared for her. And then this, she's got a lot of people around her that are putting her in a great deal of danger. I know she's 18, but I still feel like as her daddy, I'd like to try to help. Take care of her just a little bit, but get her out of danger. I want to get her sheltered from the storm. Stop the insanity for just a minute. But you could tell here by his words that he felt helpless to do that. He was not the biggest influence on her anymore. This is a sad tale, isn't it? It's actually a true story of a father who has lost his influence, and he can't do anything about it. And a story of a daughter who, instead of having parents to guide her, now has handlers. Handlers that are drawing her astray. She's no longer listening to the instruction of her father. She has forsaken the teaching of her mother. Though that teaching and instruction might have been imperfect, it would have been the better, wiser alternative. And to whom is she listening? She's walking with the world. She has been enticed, in the, word, in the words of Proverbs 1, by sinners. While the details are a little different here in Proverbs 1, but as a general rule, verses 10 to 19 paint that same sort of picture. And here we have the father pleading with the child. He still has influence. And he's pleading with her, verse 10, to not consent. Do not walk in the way with them, he says a little later. There are two ways. They will say, come with us. God, through this father, says, walk with me. Verse 15. Walk in my ways. Or in the words of Jesus, I am the way. The picture here is of a son who's coming to the place where he's going to have to decide for himself which way he's going to go. He's at that fork in the road. He's about to maybe embark on his university education. He's going to leave the home. He's going to be independent. And notice how the father is being proactive here. He's trying to prepare his son for the onslaught that he's about to face. He knows. He's, he's been there and done that. And he came out on the other end by God's grace, fearing the Lord. And so his father warns him, Son, sinners are going to come and they're going to try to come, they're going to try to get you to come with them. These sinners, these people who do not fear God will try to entice you. They're going to uh, try to open up your mind to some other options, some other possibilities. They're going to try to ambush you, try to get you to break God's laws. That's really what's happening here in verses 11 to 14, isn't it? This is their plea to the Son. This is their recruiting pitch. They say, come with us. In other words, don't listen to God, listen to us. Don't honor your parents. Come with us. And then you just read it there. You've got murder, you've got stealing, you've got coveting. Uh, just doing a quick count, there's at least five of the Ten Commandments there that they will entice you to break. And so you have, on the one hand, this mother who is laying down God's laws, but now you have these sinners that are trying to get the son to break God's laws. They have something totally different in mind for the son than the parents have. 
Godly parents aim to help their children fear God. These sinning friends will try to lead those same children away from God. They will. As good as it might seem at the beginning, if they're not God-fearing friends, they will eventually lead children away from God. You see this in marriage too. That's why God tells people not to be unequally yoked. Because eventually they'll lead them away. Even though they have good intentions. And I say that as a general rule, there are exceptions. But that's just the general rule. They will entice people away from God. Then in verses 15 to 19, the father exposes their motives and their folly. In verses 11 to 14, he gives voice to their allurements. But now he speaks again. He starts out again with, My son, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Why? For their feet run to evil. And evil always leads to God's judgment. He's saying this stuff. The things that, that they're doing will, will all, are all going to come back on them. He's warning his son that while this may seem good for the moment, and even though they think they might be uh, doing harm to others for their own gain, they're actually just harming themselves. And they'll take you right along with them. Look at verse 18. These men, he kind of uses the, the words, same words that he used earlier. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush, not for those that they want to harm. They set an ambush for their own lives. They're just plain foolish. Verse 17 actually says that they're dumber than birds. If a bird sees someone setting up a trap, that bird is out of there. (laughs) But these sinners are oblivious to the consequences of their actions. They think they've got something going on up here, but they're fools. They're bringing judgment upon themselves. And so these Proverbs have the effect of saying, Son, is this really who you want to be influenced by? Is this really the path you want to take? Just think about the harm that this is going to do to you. Don't go there. Wise up before it's too late. Go back to God's wisdom. Listen. Do not forsake it. And do it before it's too late. Why? Verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life. It takes away the soul of its possessors. You think this is fun? You think this might be a shortcut? You think this might get you rich quick? You think this direction will make you happy? You think this might make you content? Please, son, don't do it. Don't go there. You might not think so when the enticements come, but it'll cost you your life. It'll cost you your soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul, his life. Well, this proverb has been framed in the context of a father pleading to his son to heed the instruction of his parents. And of course, this has immediate application to everyone who finds himself in those roles. But even here, this is for all of us. Some of you are children, some of you are Parents, some of you are children and parents. All of you have been children. And some of you have been parents and are now grandparents or great-grandparents. You've been there, 
And you have much wisdom and experience to offer and to share. And so this is a sermon for all of us. This is a word for all of us. For you that are children, God has given you parents to lead you and to guide you and to encourage you and to warn you, to correct you, to instruct you, to discipline you. All of this have been given, has been given to you, these parents have been given to you for a time. Please understand that. He has provided these parents to you before you strike out on your own. They are God's gift to you. Do not disregard their teaching. Pay careful attention to your father's discipline. Uh, the opposite of forsake would be to treasure your mother's teaching. Honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For you that are parents, I would just encourage you to continue in the fear of the Lord. Be an example to your children. And then teach proactively. Preparing your children to live in the fear of God through all the situations they will face. That's what Proverbs is all about. It covers many different situations in life. How to work hard. How to choose friends. How to, how to choose a spouse. How to worship. How to be wise in business. So about politics, economics, all the issues of life. You need to prepare your children to live in the fear of the Lord as they face these things that come their way. And we all have to realize that in this, that we are all, as I said earlier, we are all sinners. Children are not perfect, parents are not perfect, but, but that knowledge, that reality is what must, like I said, drive us all to Christ, daily repenting of our sins, constantly acknowledging our need for His perfections and for His forgiveness, for His grace, always coming back to the cross at Calvary. And if you really think about it, we are all children of God, aren't we? We could take this entire section as the call to us from our Heavenly Father to His children. They are words calling us, His children, His disciples, to continue in His Word and to continue in His teaching, to continue in His leading. They are words calling us to walk in His ways. Do not walk in the way of the world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They are words calling us to walk in His ways. To walk in the manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called as a child of God. Let's bow in prayer, and I'm going to ask the musicians to come while I pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the all-wise God. And we thank You that in Your wisdom You have provided, you have provided uh, mechanisms by which Your children can grow in the fear of the Lord. You have given parents and teachers and leaders to impart Your Word to Your people, to encourage them, to warn them, our Father, I pray that you would keep our, keep our feet from running to, uh, to evil. Give us eyes to see the enticements of sinners for what they really are. Empty, hollow, temporary promises for good. And help us as we turn away from those enticements to see the infinite value of godly wisdom and of godly discipline, of godly teaching. And help us, our Father, to grow in the fear of the Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.